Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner. Cahen is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. Cahen and Little Red Hen – just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Well, welcome, friends, to another edition of On the Rails with me, your host, Forrest Whitman. And uh, we're looking for, or hoping very soon now, to see... Uh, a picture of James Subi, president of uh, Colorado, Colorado Rail Passage Association. Click down the track and, as always, pulled along by our wonderful engineer, uh, Rick White, who joins in regularly with questions and thoughts. And uh, there's so much happening with Rail Passenger Association business. But we do want to mention that the Salida Rail Group is going to go to... Dodge City, so that's going to be a good, a good trip. Uh, that that uh, it, it gets you in a little late at night. It gets you in at midnight, but uh, I guess there's things to do in Dodge City at midnight. Well, they have uh, where do they have casinos? You could go. Uh, I don't know. Take your five dollar bill into the casino or something like that. Have an early breakfast, but. Um, some interesting museums there. Now, a lot of frontier history uh, happens happened in Dodge City. So uh, that's a that's a rail passenger trip for you. Amtrak serves it uh, every day on the Southwest Chief. And we were just dealing earlier with a, a listener question. Someone wanted to know what what's going to be happening with really with, with Pueblo more than anything else. Now, and I see the bus going to Pueblo coming, comes right, almost right by my house, actually. That's kind of exciting. And, and uh, Jim's just been telling us how the plans are, are happening and how we recently had a train, a Southwest chief train, take the very route we we're talking about, getting off at Trinidad, coming up along the front range, Going through Pueblo, uh, going through uh, Colorado Springs, uh, etc. Golly, that's that's pretty exciting. And I'll stop talking. And let him talk a little more. Yeah, maybe... yeah for us, it didn't. It did not go through Colorado Springs. It went through. It came up from uh, Trinidad through Walsenburg to Pueblo, and then down to La Junta. It it, it, it took off toward La Hunter at that at that point at Pueblo, yeah. yeah. That's the the reroute that the legislature has asked us to look into, and that we had proposed years ago was to reroute that train permanently from La Junta to Pueblo to Trinidad. 
essentially adding a stop at Pueblo, essentially what we're doing. We improved that route of that train significantly. As you may recall, they wanted to do away with that train. Amazing. Yeah, for reasons that we could never understand, neither could the Congress. So they're running it now. But as part of our restoring that route, we raised over $100 million to restore the route and make it make it suitable for passenger service, safe and suitable. We also propose that they reroute the train through Pueblo, which would add a significant increase in ridership to the train based on our modeling, and which we did cooperatively with Amtrak. It looked like a great idea. And of course, it would also be a big first step toward front range passenger rail. We proposed that way back in 2013, I think. And uh, it's now in the legislation that was just passed creating the new rail district. And uh, the new board of directors for that rail district was directed by the legislature to continue to look into rerouting that train. You can't say anything like that for certain because there are so many you know, important complex engineering issues that have to be dealt with to bring passenger rail service anywhere. But it was a real, it was a real welcome uh, event when the BNSF railway ran the Southwest chief up through Pueblo and down to La Junta from Trinidad, just because they were able to do it. I'm sure they couldn't go at high speeds or do anything else we'd like them to do after we've modernized that route, you know, and turned it from freight to pasture. But it was just great that they were able to do it. It, it happened. I mean, we actually had, to, if, if you, of course, you, you couldn't get on in Pueblo, but wouldn't that be exciting? I mean, and, and as you say, the fact they did it, they ran it, an actual train, people standing by the track could see it going by. And sure, it probably sure. wasn't that low speed, actually. I mean, mm. coal trains go through there, what? 40 miles an hour. So I doubt if they're going 40 through that country, but the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't want to be, it wouldn't matter how fast they're going. You wouldn't want to be in front of it. And no, the, but, that, that's one of the big issues about pushing, putting passenger <clears throat> trains on any of these predominantly or entirely freight lines anymore. You have to figure out passing sightings and signals and make it safe. And these coal trains are extremely long now. And so, you know, sightings have to be lengthened. All those kind of things have to happen. So, you know, it's not uh, because they ran that train doesn't mean it's a slam dunk in a, in a done deal. It just means that it's very possible and they chose to do it. And, uh, you know, uh, one time under an emergency situation, granted. I'm still I need to get my Colorado map out and figure out <laughs> where it would have taken off from. And of course, once 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 you're in La Junta, you're you can go anywhere. Yeah, you're back on the main line. You're back on that BNSF right away. It used to be the Santa Fe Super Chief back in the good old days. And yeah, you're on a, you know, and, and that's the route we've improved now. So those trains can run 90 miles an hour. Oh, I didn't finish the point I was going to make. Well, yeah. We did those improvements. And one of the reasons, I mean, we did those improvements so that train would be safe and fast. And it wasn't that it wasn't safe, but it just was it had to run at 40 miles an hour like a freight train. And we wanted it to run, you know, 80 miles an hour like a passenger train. So we did that. But the ulterior motive for doing that was on the schedule between Chicago and L.A., we gained something like two and a half or three hours worth of time, which meant we could add an 85 mile segment to the train, which would be essentially the additional mileage that you would have to account for if you ran the train through Pueblo. 
So, you know, there was a method to our madness, when, you know, when we looked at this. We wanted to make sure we weren't going to damage the coast-to-coast or the Chicago-to-L.A. schedule or L.A. to Chicago, whichever way you want to go. And we gained enough time to do that and still reroute it through Pueblo. So these are just, you know, at Colorado, we call this the building block strategy, one step at a time. Get things done, make sure they work, and then move forward. So that's uh, having that train run up, even under an emergency uh, condition, was, in fact, a great step forward. I'm bedazzled. I'm bedazzled by this. Yeah, and I, I misspoke when I said Colorado Springs. I was I was thinking of uh, La Junta. And as you say, 80, 80 miles an hour, that's you know, darn near top speed for passenger trains these days. Now, I know back in the days of the chief, they routinely ran 100 miles an hour, but and that track is probably good enough. You almost probably could do that today. I don't know. Well, they just won't do it because you have freight traffic parked nearby and things like that. You know, I mean, you know, it's understandable. The FRA says if you're going to go over 110 miles, you have to have grade separation. These The passenger train has to be on a totally different level than the freight train. Yeah. And you can't have any uh, grade crossings, roads going across the tracks. So you have to have bridges, tunnels, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So when we think about front-range passenger rail, we think about eventually getting it to 90 to 100 miles an hour, certainly not faster than 110. Good Lord, can you imagine how expensive it would be if we had to build a tunnel or a bridge for every single road crossing? Good God. Up and down the front range. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I mean, these are the limitations that I always make sure people are, whenever I talk to groups, I always make sure they're aware of these things. You know, everybody says, oh boy, we'll be like China. We're going to run trains at 250 miles an hour or whatever it is. No, we're not. You know, we couldn't even get the train up to that speed and stop it again, you know, between Loveland and Denver, or, you know, on the places we're going. You know, so, yeah. you know, it's 40 miles from the Springs down to Pueblo. We might get it up up to 200, but then we'd have to start breaking it down again immediately. And it would be so expensive. Yeah. 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 So I, you know, I always try to make sure we stay reasonable and practical about this thing or we'll never get it built, you know? Yeah. And yes, the trackage has certainly improved tremendously through Eastern Colorado. There's, I think there's work going on out there as we speak. Yeah, our last grant, $24 million we're putting into the last 39 miles of improvements in western Kansas and southeastern Colorado. That's a, we got a federal grant. My organization matched it with a pittance. We only do that to demonstrate public support. But, you know, Amtrak and the BNSF Railway and the states of Kansas and Colorado put in, you know, millions of dollars. And then the feds put in a matching grant to do the last, I think it's 39 miles of improvements, welded rail, safer crossings, smarter signals, all the rest of this stuff. And then we will have completed the entire modernization of the Kansas and Colorado right away for the Southwest Chief. New Mexico still has some stuff to do. So we'll see, you know, how we're going to do. They put in a million dollars to an earlier grant. And the, the, commu- the communities in northern New Mexico have been with us from the beginning. We visited with all of them back in 2011, 2012. You know, we were talking uh, the other day, Forrest, about these rail excursions. And then you mentioned those groups going to Dodge City. We used to do that routinely on the Southwest Chief. We would take legislators and their families and staff members on a trip from Trinidad to Las Vegas, New Mexico, and return. 
we could do that in a day. So we'd leave Trinidad at nine o'clock or whatever it is in the morning on the chief, get off about noon, have lunch in Las Vegas, uh, have a meeting at their rail station. The mayor would come out and the city council members from Las Vegas, New Mexico, and tell our people how important that train was to northern New Mexico. Then we would go and, you know, tour the city and see the historic hotels there, you know, La Castaneda and the, and I forget the other one, but downtown in the square. And, uh, and then we get on the train heading back up to Colorado. It would be the LA version of the Southwest chief coming back to Chicago and we would board it again and ride the train. And, you know, surprisingly, and there's more to be said about this, but surprisingly, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Many of these people had never, ever been on a passenger train before. Uh-huh. Some of our legislators and uh, their legis- and principally legislative staff, you know, who could take a day off and take a train trip like that to learn about it. And it was astounding to me. They'd never even been on it. The they were just amazed that the seats are like first class air travel. The difference is time. You're on the train a lot longer. That's for sure. Yeah. It's very comfortable and very safe and convenient. So the, the, the add-on story to that is, as you know, we were able to convince Amtrak to uh, run the ski train the Winter Park Express from Denver up to Winter Park and back. And we did that. The, the former CEO of Winter Park is a Colorado member. And we all got together and said, yeah, let's, let's get that ski train running again. And my organization, Colorail, provides a rail hosts, one per car. It's a seven car train that they run up to Winter Park and back down to Denver on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. And sometimes on another day, if a, some business wants to charter the entire train. When we're on that train with all these people going at about, by the way, about 25 to 30% of those people don't go up to ski. They just go up to take the train trip up through the beautiful scenery on the front range. And then they spend the day just enjoying Winter Park. So it's a, it's a really interesting group of people who will buy a round trip ticket to get on that train. But when, when we host, of course, we, we're there primarily for safety. So one staff, Amtrak doesn't have the personnel to you know, have a conductor or assistant conductor in every car. So our hosts keep people out of the vestibules and do things like that. So they don't lose their head t- trying to take pictures out of the window and things like that. Oh, I... But on the way back, we also, well, we chat with them on the way up, but mainly we tell them about the route. We've, we have a route guide that we developed and everything else for the passengers. And we tell them about the various tunnels and all this kind of business. But on the way back, we also talked to them about, did you have a great day? And they always did. You know, they skied and enjoyed it or they enjoyed just being there, whatever their purpose was. And we often hear, as I recall in the first couple of years, about a third of those comments were, why can't we have service like this up and down the front range? And again, people, a lot of these people had never ridden. If they'd ridden a train at all, it might have been a light rail train in Denver. Many of them had never ridden any passenger rail service before in their lives. And so they're just totally unaware of passenger rail service. And it was just fascinating to us. You know, we, we, we took a big interest in that because it was just apparent that the public really, if they knew more about this, would be very supportive of building a front range passenger rail service. And that's, in fact, what happened. As you know, when we did our polling, 85% of the voters in the front range said, we want front range passenger rail. Yeah. Amazing. Let me tell you what's even more amazing. 61 and a half percent, something like that, you know, in a fraction, said we would pay taxes for $5 billion of state support for the rail line. Now, our pollsters were both Republican, we, you know, to make sure this poll was going to be accurate, we only polled registered voters, but we also had a Republican and a democratically oriented polling firm 
poll so we could make sure there wasn't any bias introduced by sure. one of you or anything else. And they were astounded that that many people said they would pay a tax. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> That's not like Colorado, you know? So we, we, we always uh, talk about that because it was so amazingly positive. Now that doesn't mean uh, pass, uh, you know, a tax deal is a slam dunk. This new district has the authority to refer a measure to the voters for a sales and use tax or a sales or use tax, but you know, we haven't. So you don't want to draw too many conclusions from that, but it sure was a positive sign to see people, even when this idea was newborn about having this rail service that people would pay, you know, to see it happen. That's so exciting. And, and to, to, just to hear that from our, well, the, the members of our little, our little group here uh, in, in Salida, uh, as you say, several of them called in, zoomed in. My Zoom, of course, was not working. We were just now, yesterday, finally. <laughs> Where is Rick? I hope he's, no, it's not Rick's fault, but <laughs> we've only now got the executive director of the station has fixed the Zoom. This is, not a, this is not a, Forrest and Rick know this is not an uncommon problem. Yeah. At our meeting last Saturday, we had a terrible first 30 minutes where we couldn't get Zoom to work. And it was all linkages. It was always connecting between, you know, an in-person service yes. and a Zoom service. So yeah. I think some of your listeners, as you mentioned, you know, attended our meeting by Zoom. And they, they might, if they were lucky, they might have heard a few things. But the first 30 minutes were pretty rough. And they probably got a black screen. <laughs> right. Well, so. they had, so what they, I encouraged them not just to send these, their questions to this show, but also to send them to the Colorado meeting. So you probably had a good half dozen of them, you know, sending in questions. And apparently you must have done a good job answering them. <laughs> well, you know, actually, uh, one of the you can't answer a lot of these questions. We just don't know enough to answer them, but we know enough to tell people how we're going to go about answering them. Yeah. And how they can help us do that. Right. And that your Salida people called in and we had one of our new district board members at the meeting. She spent some time, as I think I've told you, uh, answering the Salida questions. And she couldn't answer them either. She just said, hey, I've really thought a lot about this and I'll work with you to work on it because this, this connecting with this rail service is going to be a crucial issue. And we all have to think this through. So I'd be happy to work with you. We've got to do the same thing. And in that's Deborah, Deborah Mulvey? Mul Mulvey. Mul Mulvey. M-U-L-V-E-Y. She's from, uh, I'd have to look it up to see, but she's from the community, well, one of the community. Please, please do send me her her uh, contact info well, she gave whoever your friends are in Salida she gave her uh, contact information to them for sure and said let's, right. talk, let's get together and talk about this more because it's crucial if we don't have the, if we don't connect then only people living near a train station are going to take advantage of the service and it's designed right. to provide service to everybody you know within the vicinity so you know no. the average service area of an Amtrak train even in rural areas is 30 to 70 miles Oh yeah, come from that far away to ride a train. So you've got to think big, and you've got to make sure they this first mile, last mile is kind of what it's called, you know. And you've got to think, you've got to think about how are we going to get people to the train and then get them to their final destination once they step off the train. 
And these are really important. And each community has to think about this uh, as well. So it's, a, you know, these are large, complicated projects. Yeah, and Deborah Mulvey, we'll, we'll want to get her on this show sometime to talk sure. to her a little great. more about her ideas. Yeah. Well, don't tell her I said she would gladly do it, for gosh sakes. <laughs> <laughs> but she was great. She was, it was great to have her there because she had a lot of great questions. And uh, Where does she live? Do we know? Uh, uh, Castle Rock, I think. Castle Rock. That's what it was. Yeah. Well, so she'd be right on the right on the cusp of this. And talk about I twenty five. Good God, that 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 route is it's just nothing. It's you can't drive on it. Yeah, right. And you know, in a lot of areas, they've used up the available right of way, so you can't even expand it without you know condemning property and why you know. It becomes like a greenfield project, which is it's as expensive as you can get when you're trying to build a transportation system. Yeah. So, you know, there are a lot of problems. You know, that congestion is what's driving this. One of the points I make often is how you have to seize opportunities. One set of opportunities is protecting existing rights of way so you can use them in the future, like the Towner Line and these other existing <laughs> rights of way, rail rights of way that used to run trains. And the other side is, hey, when 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 the stars line up and people can't, you know, when I-25 is so congested that you can't get from here to there without spending three hours on the highway, suddenly rail service becomes much more attractive. So that's what's driving a lot of what we're doing now. Well, and you mentioned the Towner line, which my understanding is that the state of Colorado kind of came in at the last minute with some money to kind of keep that. And then when the Soviet family, and of course, had him on this show. That family's amazing. They're not only, you know this about them, they're not only very wealthy, but when they decided to buy the Towner line, they just bought it, repainted their rolling stock, and now they own the railroad and make money on it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, had, it was very promising for a lot of reasons, one of which agricultural products. They've no. just put, I, I was told recently by one of our members that they've, they've built a new siding out near Eads. You know, they're improving that line and making it more useful, you know, for uh, future freight service. And of course, we think about it as possibly uh, providing a right away for our passenger service as well. That's this being opportunistic is to make sure you're aware of these things and you help make sure they, they come to pass. I wish their, their bid or their move to go over Tennessee Pass. I wish that had come come about, but apparently uh, they, uh, that family, the Sovievs, they really wanted to buy the rest of the line all the way to Dot Cerro, but they just couldn't get the UP to be interested in them, and so the UP gave the gave that right away to uh, an outfit from Texas. Yeah, who, yeah, um, which by the way is is managed by a bunch of former UP execs and what have you. So yeah, they keep it in the family. Hey, this is not uncommon. I don't blame the UP railroad. They don't want competitors getting any kind of an upper hand over their system. That That's what that, that was all about. They didn't want anybody else who might be a competitor getting control of that line and finding another way to get through the Rocky Mountains. And, you yeah. know, I mean, hey, we live in a capital capitalist society yeah, so competition is a big part of oh. business in this country yeah. so that's how they behave so you know more power to them i'm sorry to say but uh and by the way the other thing is a lot of those communities could see that oil from that basin in utah suddenly coming through in oil trains so 
you know, a lot of those communities up and down the Tennessee pass line weren't that happy about the possibility of that happening. So, you know, these are really, these are big, you know, rail is not small in any way. But nevertheless, the, uh, the new, the new group that you're saying is mostly retired UP execs. Well, I've been told they, I haven't met with any of them. I, I know they're yeah. the lobbyists they have in the legislature. And so I, every now and then I hear tidbits about what's going on. But, uh, but you know, they're a rail organization, so that's good. They're not talking about selling it off for real estate. You know, they're, right. you know, they're right. keeping the right-of-way available for rail service, one description or another, from what I can tell anyway. Well, and they've uh, told the commissioners along the way, look, we're not, we're not going to be running any waxy crude through the little towns like, you know, like Salida and Leadville and so on. That That's not, the waxy crude is not going to go through your town. So they, that's what they say. Yeah. And that's probably true. Yeah, I think that's right. They've picked an odd name. They call themselves the Colorado and Midland Railroad, whether they're trying to go back to the historic Midland route or not. I don't know. That's that's interesting too. Yeah, right. But uh, it would be fun if we could get that lobbyist on this show. I, they don't lobbyists don't do that much. No, but, they don't like to. They don't like to do that kind of stuff. That's for yeah, sure. They, that's not what they do. But go, going back to Soviev, now he says, if I get my hands on that for my Colorado and Pacific, which he calls his route, it's not going to just stop and. It's not just going to be the town or line. I mean, it's going to go all the way with passenger service. Every day, daily passenger, nice and safe, very careful going through Browns Canyon. We might even stop in Browns Canyon if there's something of scenic interest that we want to let people look out the window and see. They're very sensitive to what it would mean. Maybe it's just because they are a family. The Soviets are such a tight family. People doubted that they would really do it. Well, you know, we've done a pretty good job cleaning up our our questions this morning, just coming at them sideways. So, so that's really good. So, we're, well, we've been thrilled, really thrilled to have uh, James Subi with us this morning, president of Colorado Association of Railroad Passenger. I always call passengers, but <laughs> it's, it's it is a singular. It's, isn't that right? It's called. Yeah, Colorado. Colorado Rail Passenger Association. Association. You can call it anything you want to, though. We call it Colorail. Yeah, but well, that's what I call it. Is Colorail? No, I call it I call it Colorail.org because we're all on oh, profit. Yeah. Colorail.org. Nice. And now that we're back up on Zoom here, why hopefully get some of our Colorail members on here. I want to hear all about this this trip to to Dodge City. Yeah, that's yeah, that sounds fun. And you guys had talked about maybe a trip to uh, Albuquerque, and that, that would be fun, too. So we're just thrilled, really, to to have uh, uh, James Sue be on here with us. And for all, and to thank him for all, to thank you for all that you do. My goodness, the, you, you've dedicated your life, really, to passenger rail. A good part uh, of it. Yeah, thank you, Forrest. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay, that's our engineer. Time to wrap it up. All right. With thanks to all reminders to join Colorail, you can join for as little as about twenty bucks, I think, something like that. On the, right. you, you want to probably do more than that, but 
just just uh, go to colorail.org. Is that correct? That's, go to colorail.org. You can do it online. Everything's right there on the website. Oh, boy. What fun. Okay. we got to pull this train in. And before we can do that, we got to move down the line a little ways. And we're going to do that at the count of three. Now, I'm going to throw a few Z out behind so that nobody runs into us from the rear. Okay, see that nice red glow back there? They'll say, oh, there's something ahead of us. All right, at the count of three, we'll do a high ball. Okay, one, two, three. High ball! High ball! High ball! ball. Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889.